right in the DNA blueprint 12, 13 years ago was this phrase which Brooke Turner always used to talk about of this being a place that was a launch pad um, where people would lift off from and new things would grow from it. And the special thing about this camp, which is different from any other camp we've ever done, is that this time we are not one community, we are three communities coming together, which is really special. It was only six months ago, maybe five months ago, that we blessed out the Lyle Bay crew here, which was really precious. Um, and I know like a, a really special moment. So I think during the weekend we'll hear from some of that crew, but we also have like six or seven people from the free store here, eh? Which is five? Let's call it seven, I'm Pentecostal. Um, <laughs> no, hundred. Um, no. Um, but um, yeah, so um, a, a really, really special. So if you see someone who um, you don't know that well, let's really make an effort to get to know the people we don't know well. If you are newish here and you feel kind of like a little bit out of place, know that there's at least a few handfuls of other people who feel out of place. And by the end of today, we'll all be best friends. It's going to be great. Um, so, um, so, so what we're going to talk about... The... <laughs> Lana's like, nope. (laughs) Um, um, What we're going to talk about today, uh, or what we're going to talk about this weekend is the prophetic. Um, And uh, and where I want to start with is, um, the other day um, I was talking with Bishop Justin and we were doing some stuff for this next podcast season that, that we're doing, and he brought this kind of profound thought at one point, he's like, we are currently witnessing the death of hope. We're witnessing the death of hope. Um, and we're, we're subjected to all these different kinds of propaganda at the moment. Um, propaganda that tells us we should be afraid. Propaganda that tells us we should fear the stranger. That the future is bleak. That we can't trust one another. That there is no hope. Um, that for many people they are witnessing the death of hope in the world at the moment. And, uh, and what kind of came out of that, I was thinking about this idea that there is all this propaganda around hopelessness. Um, and and this, this phrase came out of Justin's mouth that the, the church is called to be the community of resistance in the midst of a world that says hope is dying. And I think we're actually meant to be like the propagandists of hope to the world. <laughs> like if there is the propaganda of fear and the propaganda of hopelessness and the propaganda of death and fear and distrust and shame, then we are as the church called to be the propagandists of hope. Um, who witness to, to hope, coming hope for healing, hope for our environment, hope for the poor, hope for the sick. Um, I love that, that link song that says, you're not done with us, you're moving as we speak. You know, that we are the ones who say there, there, is, there is still something in the old girl yet. Like there is, there is, a, way, there is a way forward. And, um, and the, reason, the reason I say this is that with this weekend being about the prophetic, I think the prophetic is like deeply intertwined with hope. And this idea that, like, on on one level, Blueprint has been great in the past at acknowledging the real pain that people journey through and of going, like, we are with you in that pain and the solidarity of Christ. But there is also this part to our faith which is powerfully aspirational and says that there will be a better day um, and that um, that there is something to hope for. So the prophetic is intimately intertwined with hope, and that's hope of a new world and a new people. Um, And so practically what the prophetic means is that we are speaking words over one another that call forth the hope of God within people. So we do not see people as they are right now, but we see them as they look when God has fully restored their lives. That's what the prophetic is. So when we come to someone and we offer them an invitation for where God is leading them, or we offer them an interruption from the path they're on, or we offer them an encouragement, we're saying, I see who you really are. I see you as God sees you. We're calling forth the restored and the redeemed person within that. And so there's that part of it. We give words and prayers that call people forth 
um, to the hope of God within them. But then also there is the prophetic that isn't just words over people, but is the prophetic lifestyle, is the radically different, peculiar um, call of Christ that we live a radically different way to say that there is hope. So we live generously because we do not believe that there is not enough in the world to go around, right? So most of the world believes in a scarcity mentality. Any of you have read all that Brene Brown stuff, you know? We're all over this. That we are in the scarcity mentality where we think there is not enough. But the radically prophetic call of the people of God is we believe that our Father always has enough and can provide for us so we can live abundantly generous lives. And we can live differently. And we don't have to live defensively while the rest of the world is. We can live a prophetic alternative. So it is the calling out of who the individual is meant to be that happens in prayer ministry, but then it is from there, walking into the living a different way that says that the propaganda of hopelessness is a lie and spreading the propaganda of hope. And so that's going to be the arc of our weekend from restored people to restored world. And we had these these pictures last night, if you weren't here, um, I got up here and talked about how I'd had all these pictures of fire and asked people to share. And I had this picture as I was praying down the front here where I saw as I was praying, the smoke begin to lift off my skin. And then as I was breathing in the presence of God, these openings in my skin start to form and these flames begin to come out. And I shared that in, um, in Charlotte. Where are you, Charlotte? There. Um, Charlotte um, bought um, this, this, this picture that she had of her skin like paper and catching fire and, and peeling off her. And then Lauren had this picture of, um, of like a scab that needed to be removed to, to bring forth um, the new life. And I want to read to you Romans 8, 18 to 21. It says this here, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the daughters and sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And that one line in there, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the daughters and sons of God to be revealed. The creation waits in eager expectation for the daughters and sons of God to be revealed. You know when Jesus says, if you did not worship me, even the rocks would cry out? All creation is eager for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed as who they truly are. That is the heart of the prophetic. It's for us to know who we truly are in God. You know, I've been reading this book recently, some of you may have read, called The Grace Outpouring, from this little community in Wales called Fafaldi Brennan. And they began, when they came to this space, by just blessing the land. They just blessed the land... And the dry rivers started flowing again. And these cows started having like the best calves of their life, like every season. And, the, you know, these places, these barren fields started growing grass again, you know. And I was just like, this is amazing. Like they blessed the land and all creation is eager for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. So this weekend, if we are willing, God's fire is going to come and eviscerate the fear, the sin, the shame, the judgment and the self-condemnation we hold between us and God and to reveal the sons and daughters of God. The fire is going to come, burn off that outer layer and we're going to be revealed as who we truly are, restored by God. You guys up for that journey? Good. So this morning, I want to talk about what Jess brought up before. I think Jesus is hell-bent on your restoration. 
He is so for your restoration. Because some of us doubt that there is good in us now. We've become hopeless about ourselves. Some of us doubt that God can bring forth the, the, the son or daughter of God within us. And, and this morning, I want to give you hope that Jesus is hell-bent on the mission of revealing the sons and daughters of God. He is aggressive in his desire to unveil all the best of who you are as God's child. Jesus' ministry began as a, a, a message of liberation in the synagogue, Luke 4, 18, 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Where he say, I have come that the sons and daughters of God may be revealed. That the lame would no longer be, be lame, that the blind would no longer be blind, that the captive would be made free. And the role of the prophetic of the prophetic word is to draw out that person when we can't see it in ourselves. So that is often why we need to pray for one another and hear those words. Is because we get so deep within our own stuff. Like, do any of you relate? Sometimes you've done so much navel-gazing and searching of your own sin and brokenness, you're just sick of yourself. People get sick of yourself, right? Like, I'm sometimes just sick of myself. And I, like, I actually cannot see for myself how God sees me. But I need someone to come in and hear God and say, this is who you are as the son of God. This is who you are as a child of God. And that is the prophetic. So this morning what I'm going to look at is the nature of Christ's ministry and how he was like absolutely and how he is absolutely dogged and determined to reveal who we truly are. And, um, and for that I want to look at three stories of Jesus' interactions with women in the Gospels. Um, because in the time of the Scriptures, I think... Women were probably some of the ones who would have found it the hardest to understand their value in society. And so I think this, this speaks something powerful. So um, where I want to begin is I want to begin in Luke 8, 43 to 48, which is, um, I'll just read the scripture to you. I'll read a few scriptures today, and if you want to close your eyes as I read them, you can. And a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. So I just want you to imagine the hellishness of this woman's life. She, there's this menstrual bleeding here that has been going non-stop for 12 years. And, and in the time that they lived, this made you unclean. So this basically was the barrier between her participating in her community. It was the barrier between relationship, between friendship, between acceptance. If you were unclean in this time, you were ostracised to the outside of the community. So this is, this is, this is body. It is family, it is community, it is spiritual. So for her, her healing does not just change her spiritual state, but it also restores her to belonging and community at the same time. And even the fact that she touches Jesus is something she shouldn't have done. There's some theologians who say that the moment at which she touches Jesus, she makes him unclean. Isn't that cool? She makes the Son of God unclean, and he heals her. And what is the first word Jesus says to her when she comes forward? Daughter, 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 daughter. He calls forth 
that eager anticipation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Daughter, your faith has healed you. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the daughters and sons of God to be revealed here. It's what Jesus does here as he reveals here. And um, I can't remember, I would have told some of you this story before, but um, late last year I was part of the silent retreat. Um, and, uh, and the great thing about a silent retreat is... <laughs> the great thing about a silent retreat is you spend... You kind of reach this point where, you know, like some of us will like, um, I don't know, we'll come along to church and we'll wait for our little nugget of revelation. And then we'll be like, mmm, and then run off and do our own thing for a while. Like, it's kind of like like drive, like drive through Holy Spirit, you know, it's just like, just get me that six pack of notes and I'm good. Um, and so then we run off and we do our normal thing. Um, with a silent retreat, you get like about an hour in and you're like, <sighs> had the notes. <laughs> um... And then you, you're there for five or six hours more, and then you just try to sleep for as long as you can. So you're like, I've got to find a way through this 40 hours. And then you get like 15, 20 hours, and you're like, I can't sleep anymore. <laughs> and then like, you know, if you're like me, you really just want to crack some jokes around some people, and you can't. Um, and you want to do prayer ministry for just anything to pass the time. You'll even pray for people to pass the time. And... Um, <laughs> And you can't. Um, and, um, and so God begins to speak in these very weird ways. Um, and so this first silent retreat we did, um, we are um, yeah, into the, I don't know, probably about the 25, 30 hour mark. And, um, and I hear God speak and he says, do you know my son had a body? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, he was the word made flesh. And then it was kind of an hour later, and I'm you know, still like bored as hell. And he says, Do you know you have a body? I'm like, it appears that's here. Um, and, then, and then he says, Do you like your body? I'm like, Oof. <laughs> Sit with the discomfort of that for an hour. He says, because I do. See, God is in the business of coming to those places of us we can't accept and showing us how much he loves us. Whether it be our body, our mind, our spirit, our actions, God is in the business of holding up a mirror to us and saying, you look like me. Um, Acts 10.15 says, Do not call anything unclean that God has made clean. Do not call anything unclean that God has made clean. We have been made clean by Christ on the cross. But we walk around telling ourselves we are unclean. Unclean to come to God, unclean for a relationship with one another. And part of the prophetic is saying, you are clean, you have been made clean. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Son, your faith has healed you. Come forward. A word from God will speak to our cleanness. It will speak to his redemption at work in our lives. So the first point of today is God wants to restore our dignity. God wants to restore our dignity. He wants us to know that we are a clean people and we are right to come before him and that all the creation, the rocks, the earth, the fenua is crying out for the sons and daughters of God to come forward and to be healed by their faith. Second passage is um, from John 8. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. 
The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left and the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So what's going on in this passage is this is happening around the time of the Passover festival. And at the Passover festival, basically, Jews would come from all around the place and just crowd into Jerusalem. And um, basically, like it was like it was pretty rowdy. Um, it was quite a piss-up at times. Um, and so they would get really drunk um, and stay up late. And then there was a lack of accommodation. And so there were these tents everywhere all over the slopes. And so these drunk people would kind of slink into each other's tents. And this is probably what has happened in this moment, is that they have found this woman who's been enjoying the revelry of the Passover festival, and she's been dragged out of this tent. Now, I don't quite know why the man was not dragged before the guys as well, but we'll um, leave that there. And so she's in the street, um, barely clothed, possibly naked, and these men are over her, shaming her and accusing her, and Jesus steps between them and silences the accuser. And so what this means for her is that Jesus brings her back on an equal footing. No longer is she the thing or the object down in the dust, but she is, she is human along with her accusers. She is again brought up to be the image of God. Now I can remember a couple of years ago um, in Leading Blueprint where uh, I was faced with this like quite tough decision I had to make around something, I'm going to keep it really vague, this really tough decision and I was like what do I do, what do I do with this decision, I don't know how to lead this, so I went to a couple of, um, I went to a couple of kind of legend leaders, um, friends of mine and said what would you do in this situation and they gave me some advice on how to deal with it and so I moved forward on their advice and then it just turned into this colossal shitstorm and I started getting calls from people around the diocese and I had, um, I had someone saying I've been ordained for three months, I had someone call up and say that they wanted to title D me, which is basically where you um, fill out this form and say this person is no longer fit to be a reverend um, and it just this is like three months out, that's so blueprint right um, and, um, and, uh, and I was like oh it's okay, I've got these folks to back me up and then all of a sudden their position changed <laughs> And off they went. And I was left in this place, you know, facing these accusers without the defender. And I know like a number of us would have been in that situation. It's an incredibly scary, incredibly painful place to be in. Where you feel like you've had the backing and all of a sudden it goes and you just have to walk on your own. And I wonder, I wonder if I'm catching the smallest glimpse of this woman who lies there in the dust with her accusers before her. And no one to defend her. And at that moment, Christ comes in and stands between the accuser. And stands between her and says, no. 
You see, Jesus is a, or God is often called in the Psalms, our refuge and our fortress. Particularly in the Psalms, so many times. But the, the line that gets me in all of this is where Christ says, Woman, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? They've all gone. And Satan literally means the accuser. Like that is, that is literally his name, is the accuser. Jesus is in the business of silencing the accuser. Jesus is in the business of standing between us and the accuser and taking the blow on our behalf. It's what he does on the cross. It is what he is always doing for us. So prophecy comes to silence the voice of the accuser. And when you silence the accuser, you bring back someone's humanity. They no longer become defined by those words that have been spoken over them. Or by the experience of their lives, they no longer become the naked person in the dirt, but they are lifted up. Again, do not call unclean anything that is clean. They are lifted up clean again. Point one, God wants to reveal our dignity. Point two, God wants to renew our humanity. He wants to bring us out from the dust. He wants to silence our accuser. Final passage, John 4, one of my favourites. You'll know the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. I won't go through the whole thing, but Jesus enters into this place, Samaria, where Jews would never go. And then he goes to this well in the middle of the day where no one would ever come to draw water because they'd always come at dawn or at dusk when the sun was down. And then he, he, uh, he meets there a woman who has been married five times and he has this restorative conversation with her. But the interesting thing is they talk about water and they talk about her many marriages, and they talk about the deep wound within her heart, and then at the end, just for fun, they have a conversation about theology. In verse 19, she says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you and he. Jesus says this beautiful thing at the end here. It's like almost like she has had these list of things that separate her from God. She's come out in the middle of the day because she's separated from her community. And then she brings up this thing of her five husbands and wonders if that will separate her from God. And Jesus has said, no, 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 not when you draw water, not how many husbands you've had. And then she says, well, surely, surely the mountain thing will separate me from God. There was the the animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans was a belief of where the resurrection of the dead would happen, of whether it would happen on Mount Zion and the Mount of Olives or whether it would happen in this other mountain in Samaria. And that is why they were such um, devoted enemies of one another. And she says, well, okay, so the, the, the water thing, I'm not excluded. The five husbands, I'm not excluded, but surely... The mountain thing, I'm excluded. And Jesus says, no, 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 there is a time coming, and it has come now where it won't matter a shit which mountain you wish upon. It won't matter. 
The water can't do it. The husbands can't do it. The mountain can't do it. None of these things that you have set up in your mind for why you cannot approach me are valid reasons. And she needs convincing over and over and over again that nothing can stand between her and God. How many times have we heard that Romans 8 passage, there is nothing high above, down below, angelic or demonic that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The call, the role of the prophetic is to remind us again and again that not water, not husbands, not wives, not mountains, not demons, not angels, not high above, not down below, nothing as far as the east or as far as the west can separate us from the love of God. And prophecy is about reminding us of that and awakening us to that truth again. Because there's something within us, there's some self-pity, there's some belief in self-righteousness that has to believe that I must have done something that made me unworthy. And Jesus says, no, at the bedrock of prophecy is speaking that truth over one another. That there is nothing that can separate us from God. I remember a few years ago, I, um, I'm not someone who writes letters. I don't really like communication that much. Um, <laughs> unless you all have to be quiet and I just lob at you. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't really do phone calls. Um, definitely don't write letters. But a few years ago, um, my nana was in a rest time um, and, um, near the end of her life. And uh, I heard the story from, uh, from my mum that she was in a, a Catholic rest time, but she had been raised... Um, Presbyterian and they had a Eucharist that they held in this rest home each Wednesday and, and she had said to my mum, she said oh yes, I'd, I'd love to go along um, but it's Catholic and so I'm not welcome you know, the water the husbands, the mountain and, um, and I had, had this, this, this thought come to mind, it took me a couple of moments but I just felt this deep anger in me that there was any barrier to her approaching God. She hadn't been to church in years. So I wrote her a letter. And I basically wrote her a neither high nor low, angelic or demonic, nothing can separate you from the love of God, and go oh, fucking take the Eucharist. <laughs> um, and what ended up happening is that uh, on the Wednesday, she went and took the Eucharist, and on the Thursday, she passed away to be with Jesus. And that is the prophetic is to invite people into those places they feel they are unworthy. To come and know the Father. To be revealed as the sons and daughters of God, even if they're 88 in a nursing home and they don't look like anyone's daughter anymore. To call that, that forth in them. Jesus wants to remove all the barriers in our perception that make us think we're unworthy to approach God. And good prophecy will doing the same, reminding us that we are his divine creation and that his spirit lives within us. It's not about mountains and temples. So point one, God wants to reveal our dignity. He wants to reveal that we are beautiful to him. Point two, God wants to reveal our humanity. He wants to silence the accuser wherever you hear that. And point three, God wants to reveal our divinity, that we are the image of God. He wants to reveal our dignity, our humanity, and our divinity. I want to return to that passage I've banged on all morning. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the daughters and sons of God to be revealed. 
So that is our thing as we give words to one another this weekend. And tonight I'm going to talk around how it is that we hear God. For some of you, maybe feel like you don't hear God or are unsure. Um, and for others, I'm going to give you a grid. But what we want to do is we want to reveal the sons and daughters of God in this room this weekend. We want to peel off the layers. We want to turn up that fire, invite it to eviscerate everything that sets itself up against the image of God being revealed in all of us. Does that sound good? Cool. All right. Let me pray a moment. Father, we have been a community who is passionate about loving our neighbour, but has sometimes struggled with that as ourselves. And Lord, I pray that you would pry open our hearts now, that you would pry open tight fingers that want to hold to our unworthiness, that have bought into the lies of the accuser, that have allowed our humanity to be diminished and buried in the dirt. And Lord, we invite you to break us open and come in and restore us. Lord, we bless the land. We bless the whenua. We ask, Lord, that it would cry out eagerly for these sons and daughters to be revealed. Yeah. Mm-hmm.